When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on the show, we explore what it means to have purpose. It doesn't. <laughs> it's going to get me every time. Welcome to Lore Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes behind some of our favorite video games. My name's Abu. And I'm Bruce. And Bruce, I hear you're loving Smash because we've played it. Oh yeah, man. Oh my god, when it came out, I'm just like, oh, I was, oh, it was amazing, you know, with the Incineroar, like, forget about it. He's like my new main, I mean, Oh like, my gosh, absolutely. And that secret thing that they did The secretly? secret thing, amazing. the secret thing. You know, when there were like 70 master hands and they all formed into one giant master hand that was like... <laughs> All like they scurried around like ants. All right, Bruce, I think at this point you're fooling no one. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Let's come clean. Yeah, we have to admit that this episode was actually recorded before Smash came out, but we're still incredibly excited for Smash. It's Smash Week. We're dropping special episodes related to Super Smash Brothers, one of the biggest games, I'm sure, to launch on Nintendo Switch. And today, specifically, we're going to focus on the Pokemon fighters and the world and lore and universe of Pokemon. Yes, and I am very happy to be able to talk to this because, Abu, I bet you didn't know, um, you are talking to the uh, founder, vice president, president, gym leader, and elite four member of the Kent State Pokemon League. I did not know about that. What? Bow before greatness. That's right. Yeah, no kidding. You have almost as many titles as Khaleesi. <laughs> so let, let's jump into it the first batch of the fighters that we wanted to discuss were probably the least interesting and i don't know how much there really is to say about them but i think it's still important to discuss them let's start off with pichu and pikachu obviously pikachu is the most iconic pokemon he's literally synonymous with the brand of pokemon it, you really can't not include him Right, and Pikachu's been on uh, Smash since the beginning uh, as, you know, one of the representatives for the Pokemon franchise. And, it, it you know, Pikachu has always been kind of a staple of the Nintendo uh, name brand. Yeah, you really can't include Pokemon in Smash without including Pikachu. He, he's been with Ash from the start. He's been with us from the start. He's one of the most iconic and recognizable figures uh, in pop culture. Rumor has it that Pikachu wasn't chosen as the official mascot of Pokemon until really late in development. Rumor has it that Clefairy, fucking Clefairy, <laughs> was going to be the mascot for Pokemon. Yeah, yeah, I also heard about that. It was a good choice, in my opinion, to switch to Pikachu for a number of reasons. One is just like, because, you know, I think Pikachu is a bit more marketable, uh, and it's its character design is a lot more open and, you know, inclusive. 
Yeah, I agree. I think Pikachu is a bit more neutral when it comes to just mass market appeal. Anyone can think Pikachu is adorable and anyone can buy the merchandise, which is, you know, ultimately the goal <laughs> of of a giant corporation trying to sell uh, a cartoon to kids is to get them to buy the toys on it. I think Clefairy, while, you know, I, I don't know, perhaps there is an alternate timeline of the world where Clefairy is the mascot and everybody loves Clefairy. I'm glad that we don't live in that timeline personally. Or there is a timeline where Clefairy was a mascot and we only got Pokemon red and blue. (laughs) (laughs) Hot take. Hot takes. Hot take indeed. Damn. Uh, Ultimately, I am glad that we don't live in that timeline. I think we live in the best Pokemon timeline. Yeah, I think so. But to move on from Pichu and Pikachu, the two other Pokemon that sort of fall into this first category that I wanted to touch on are Greninja and Jigglypuff. I'm pretty ambivalent about either of them oh no you i i love jigglypuff oh really okay let's hear it well because jigglypuff is you know maybe in the game didn't really have a lot going for it but as soon as it you know got more of a spotlight in the anime it gave it a personality on its all on its own that really made it stand out i just love that you know jigglypuff sings every time um, and just puts everyone to sleep because that's part of its power. And then it gets pissed off, pups up, and then reveals that its microphone is a marker and then just draws on everybody <laughs> and then fucks off. I mean, that's the, that's the most hilarious thing. That's the, that's the most like drunk frat boy shit I've ever heard. Are you kidding me? I love it. I, I mean, I, I feel like it's more like a prima donna kind of thing mixed with a frat boy kind of thing. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, As far as her fighting capabilities, it's interesting to note that Jigglypuff is full of air, (laughs) and that actually plays into her smash fighting style. She can inflate herself with air and start floating. Um, But beyond that, she's got the, like, short, stubbly arms, and uh, it doesn't seem like she's got much bulk or muscle, uh, which really contrasts with someone like Greninja, who is a literal ninja and a frog, frog. so he's got the agility, he's got the ninja assassin abilities. how, how, what do you feel about Greninja? Because that, that's actually a Pokemon that Ash has in his party, you know, in Ash's hodgepodge, like shitty party <laughs> that any 12 year old <laughs> could outdo, you know? <laughs> I'll, I'll admit, I haven't really seen the anime um, in the in that season or, or the region that they are in. Um, yeah, I have seen that like Ash has a special Greninja that is like got like a red streak on it. It's pretty cool. Um, I mean, I like Greninja. I'm just not like, it's not my like super passionate, like, oh yeah, Greninja, that's my thing. Mine is her Incineroar and we'll get to that. But uh, Greninja, like, you know, if if you like ninjas, if you like doing that kind of thing, like, I think it really satisfies all of that. I think it's definitely a very solid, cool pick of a Pokemon. I just know it's not really my thing. It's not my steez. Makes sense. We're in the same boat there. But speaking of cool, solid picks for Pokemon, Lucario. What are your thoughts on Lucario and his abilities? I have always loved Lucario. I love its aura sphere. Obviously, it's sort of kind of an echo fighter to Mewtwo, but um, I really do like its character design. um, And it's a lot more physical uh, with its attacks and smash. And I really do enjoy that. Yeah. 
And one of the unique things, speaking more to Lucario's role in the uh, movies and anime and games, is the fact that he speaks. He actually has an entire movie dedicated to him, and we learn a lot about this particular special Lucario's history. Yeah, and we also see the first Pokemon War, which is... Yeah, that's also huge. Yeah, Lucario's original, sort of like very, very, like, briefly summarize that movie. Lucario is like over a thousand years old. His old master was a king of something, of some kingdom that was at war. And his old master goes to the world tree, which is essentially Idrisil, and uh, sacrifices himself to stop this war. In that, in that process, he traps Lucario inside a staff. And Lucario's trapped in there until a thousand years later, Ash frees him in the movie. And then they essentially go through a similar series of events where uh, the world is imbalanced again and someone has to sacrifice themselves at the tree. And Lucario ends up being the one who sacrifices himself, uh, just like his master did a thousand years ago. That's a very brief summary of a very good movie, but you're right. It's the, our first glimpse at a war taking place inside the Pokemon world. That's unique. Very unique. And I do like how Lucario kind of speaks to humans and Ash. It's, it's very respectable and, you know, it's very knight-like. Um, and it's like the, the second Pokemon to uh, speak in the series. Well, third, I guess, if you want to count Lugia. Yeah, well, actually, I, I want to I actually talk about that for a little bit. Because originally, when I was scripting this episode, I wrote down, oh, Lucario is one of the very rare Pokemon that actually speaks to humans. And then I started doing my research, and holy shit, there's like a huge list of Pokemon that either use some sort of telepathy or use literal human speech. I mean, Meowth, right? Like, Meowth just talks. <laughs> I remember an episode where Tentacruel had, like, grabbed a hold of Meowth and used it as a conduit to speak to the humans. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Tentacruel is also on this list, and it says ex exactly that, that he spoke through Meowth. But it's not as unique as I originally thought it was going to be. I thought Lucario and Mewtwo were a rare breed of Pokemon that actually communicated in the human language with humans. But, you know, like considering Meowth is just hanging around talking in English and there are a handful of other non-legendary types that also talk throughout the series, maybe it's not as unique as we think it is. I mean, we know Pokemon are intelligent. We know that they speak and understand human language uh, they just not be, may not be able to articulate it. So what we see is that like Meowth is like, I think the bar of just like showing that like any Pokemon is capable of independent thought and communication, such as being able to learn a second language. Like Meowth is bilingual and he's, he's just like a street Meowth. It wasn't anything special or any like special psychic thing. So like, I mean, that, that throws a lot into the world of Pokemon I mean, does a Pidgey have the same intellectual, you know, prowess as a Kadabra? Yeah, th that brings up a lot of interesting questions. Like, is Meowth just an outlier and more intelligent than the rest of the Meowth in the world? So it picked up on language, on human language? Well, the other thing that really then starts to kind of break down the entire world of Pokemon is how come humans are the ones that are, like, able to capture these things in balls? I always feel... It's it's in the realm of possibility to like capture things like Oddishes and Pidgeys and Meowths. You know, that's fine, but like you see this huge, you know, monster that's like does hypnosis and, you know, <laughs> controls 
can control humans with its mind or like a uh, cadaver or alakazam that can be able to you know teleport and you know move things with their mind and float right. and everything and then they just get captured in a ball and then do the bidding of these vastly less intelligent creatures yeah i mean you make a good case there the argument could be made that a pokemon that has psychic abilities particularly psychic abilities could be more intelligent or at least have a deeper understanding of certain things uh than humans <laughs> and you know they're still subservient in some way to humans once they're captured and that's actually something that gets touched on in the lucario movie as well uh lucario considers his master his master you know he he considers himself beneath him and a servant to his master throughout the movie lucario learns that that's not how his master saw their relationship he saw them as equals and he saw them as friends and then he sees that again between pikachu and ash they treat each other like equals like friends with respect uh, and that's sort of the character arc that Lucario goes through in his movie. But something that you brought up earlier that I want to touch on as we transition here into Mewtwo is the idea of intelligence, because Mewtwo is arguably the most intelligent Pokemon, if not the most intelligent being, right? Outside of the later series when we get into the godlike Pokemon. And in my opinion, I think it's the most interesting Pokemon ever. I mean, Mewtwo is the first man-made Pokemon, first of all, and taken from uh, a DNA sample of Mew, uh, the 151st Pokemon uh, and a legendary Pokemon, and was made in the uh, lab for uh, Team Rocket and to be, you know, the ultimate Pokemon. And it, through the abuse of, you know, the scientists and the researchers, fought for its own freedom. Yeah, Mewtwo, even more than humans, is really dealing with these like deeply philosophical and human questions, right? Like the entire movie is about him asking huge questions like, why do I exist? What and is what is my why purpose? Why am I here? Yeah, exactly. Why am I here? And I think one of the more interesting questions he keeps asking is, am I special? Because I think every human asks the same exact question. Am I special? Am I unique? Right. I mean, you know, it's a huge, deep philosophical question and i really do like that pokemon wanted that, that the pokemon anime wanted to be able to ask those questions of you know kids who are just like preteens and 10 year olds who are just you know trying to figure out their times tables and then they're having them want to ask their questions of just like why am i put on this earth what's what's, <laughs> what's going on why am i here do i have a purpose yeah um, I was watching this really interesting analysis where this YouTuber broke down Mewtwo's sort of philosophy and cr internal crisis, and he brought up a really good point that I want to repeat. Mewtwo is the combination of essentially this unlimited power of Mew combined with the cold, hard, analytical logic and intelligence of mankind, and those two things come to a head in Mewtwo's existence. He has to figure out how to rationalize his existence with his unlimited power. Mew, who doesn't strike me as the most intelligent of Pokemon, just happens to be the most powerful ever. You know, he Mew, Mew doesn't question its existence. I think Mew is not intelligent, but I do think it is vastly wiser than Mewtwo and almost any other Pokemon. I think that it kind of just lives in the moment and enjoys itself and the Pokemon and life around it. 
and it, it observes and, you know, only intervenes when it is completely necessary and it protects. I think that Mew, though it seems like a very innocent creature, I think it has so much more wisdom and experience that, you know, almost matches the intelligence of Mewtwo. I think you're absolutely right. You, you've completely hit the nail on the head on that one. I think Mew has that wise old sage experience and Mewtwo is intelligent and has that analytical knowledge and the same unlimited power, but still has not experienced enough of the world yet to be able to come to terms with those big questions that none of us truly have the answers to. Why do we exist? What is our purpose? A lot of those answers are completely up to us. And that's ultimately the message from the movie itself. Yes, yes. And I think that it was through, you know, a lot of trial and tribulation, a lot of conflict, but also with, you know, fighting with Mew. I think it learned a lot through seeing Ash um, and Pikachu's relationship as, you know, trainer and Pokemon. I think, you know, he had been sheltered almost his entire life and then, you know, was put through a lot of abuse and then was able to, you know, come out with just this very matter of fact, you know, understanding of what must be done. Uh, but once he got to see the true compassion and beauty in the world that is also possible, he was able to see that there can be more that can be done in life than just trying to fulfill roles and purposes that others have perhaps laid for you or what seems to be uh, a goal that you might want to accept as your purpose. When, we, when you boil it down, we only have the purpose of living to exist. That is our purpose. And anything more is just what we do with our lives. Absolutely. I'm glad my guy Mewtwo found his peace. <laughs> hey there, Lore Party listeners. Michael here. I just want to take a few moments and encourage you to listen to my show here on Lore Party. It's called Minigame. Every episode, I take about five to ten minutes and explore a unique perspective on games as small as her story or as big as Wolfenstein or Star Wars. While the other guys like to talk about lore and history and game universes, I like to focus on things like plot and character and theme. Now, if you disagree with my opinion or my perspective, I would love to hear your voice. Join in the discussion at our subreddit at r slash lore party. Thank you very much for listening. And now, Back to the show. So one correction I wanted to actually make is you said earlier in the episode that Mewtwo was the first ever artificially created Pokemon. That's actually, there's a technicality there because... There's another Pokemon of the original 150 from Generation 1 that was created by humans, and that's Porygon. Porygon is computer data, some weird embodiment of computer data, and he was created by Silphco. That's true. That is true. The question I wanted to pose to you here is, why is Porygon not also questioning its existence like Mewtwo? I think that Porygon is, I guess... I don't even want to say this, but like it's less aware than Mewtwo. 
And it's weird, cause like it, it, but it, like it's it's a normal type Pokemon, not a psychic type. Mewtwo kind of has vastly greater intelligence than almost any other Pokemon or creature in the world. And Porygon is more, I think, of an animal type of Pokemon that kind of just is, you know. And it's weird to say that, cause like I think all humans are created equal, but it shows in the game that. Not all Pokemon are created equal because they are literal legendary god Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like there's a there's a tier system of like what kind of Pokemon can do what, and I think there is a limit on the intelligence and self awareness of some of the Pokemon. Porygon brings up a lot of questions, uh, and one of the bigger questions that it brings up, of course, is the idea of like human intervention and human tampering in what is essentially just part of the ecosystem of the world of Pokemon, right? These are essentially animals. They're part of the biology of the entire world. And humans are poking and prodding and creating like fake synthetic ones and cloning ancient ones and kind of fucking shit up in general. <laughs> yeah. What are you, Do you have any thoughts on like sort of the ethics around humans messing with Pokemon in this way? Well, it definitely shows, okay, so Mewtwo was definitely an, unethical use of science and Pokemon because it is just this amalgamation of like, you know, cloning and gene splicing and then just, you know, keeping it captive until it turned on its creators because it was being abused and, you know, used for evil purposes. Porygon, however, was, I think, on the opposite side of the spectrum where it was created for the very purpose of just being created to see if they could. And then we don't see Porygon in the wild or being used for any nefarious purposes, but it just like, it exists. It's, you know, around and it can be, you know, upgraded. It was made in a lab, but it doesn't really seem to be in pain. It doesn't seem to, you know, question any part of reality. It, it just, it just is. And I think that's kind of pretty ethical. Like they, like scientists just created Pokemon life, but in a very humane way. And, you know, it just kind of exists in the kind of space that it can as a computer generated, you know, life form. And I, as I see you have here, there are other kind of, you know, Pokemon that have been made kind of as byproducts of human activity, like uh, Grimer, Muck, Coughing, Magnemite, uh, Garbodar. So let me ask you this, Abu. What do you, I mean, what do you think about that? And then secondly, like, especially in an environment like this, I mean, if someone were to want to, you know, get rid of pollution, would that be making Muck and Grimer extinct? Oh my gosh. I hadn't even thought of that possibility. Right? Actually, I think the answer is a bit more cleaner than we assume because the, the world that the anime and the games present is this like weird utopia where humans and pokemon coexist in this like beautiful ecosystem that sort of feeds and feeds on itself i think grimer as a result of sort of human trash also helps manage that trash right like grimer and muck a big part of their intake and diet is eating human trash and waste and i think they help manage it which allows humans to continue creating it i think there's a bit of symbiosis and a bit of sort of a natural flow of the ecosystem of the world of Pokemon. And mm. I think the Pokemon sort of fit like puzzle pieces right alongside humanity. I think the world 
that the universe of Pokemon presents us with is one where neither can exist without the other, and they both only survive because of their coexistence. They rely on each other. Interesting. I like that perspective. Yeah, we'll we'll touch on that again in a little bit when we talk about capturing and battling Pokemon. But before we get to that, that's going to be our final discussion. Before we get to that, I really want to hear your thoughts on Incineroar. I did not know you were a huge Incineroar fan. Uh, to be to be quite honest, I didn't think any huge <laughs> Incineroar fans existed. Are you kidding me? It's a giant fighting wrestling tiger. It's awesome. <laughs> For, okay, so first of all, I am, my whole thing is fire. Like, you know, when I was in the Kent State Pokemon League, I was like, my monotype was fire. And I just, I love fire Pokemon and I love the fire starters. And I just love that this is fire dark for the first time and not fire fighting. Damn, of, of the entire discussion we've had so far, that was the geekiest shit you've ever said. <laughs> <laughs> well, too late. We're on a video game podcast, so I don't know how much nerdier we can get. <laughs> That's fair. That's so true. Okay, so you love Incineroar because he's Tony the Tiger who got into wrestling. Any other reasons you love him? Um, I, I mean, the, the character design is what I love the most, but I think I love its personality as well because it's just like, it's just ready for a fight and it's ready to fight dirty. It's ready to like, just, it, it just has that whole mentality of just like taking a chair and just whacking across someone on the back. I mean... <laughs> It just, Incineroar looks like a fun, fun Pokemon that is really interesting. And as at least a character in Smash, I mean, I feel like it was made for it. Yeah, I, th- that was, I don't have a lot to say about Incineroar because obviously I, I am not the huge Incineroar fan that you are. But that is one thing that I, I agree with, that Incineroar seems like a perfect fit for the Smash games because he's a wrestler. He's a fighter. It's in his personality. It's in his biology. That's exactly the type of Pokemon that Incineroar is. He's a fighter, and he's going to fit right in, I think, on the Smash roster. And I'm excited to see how many other people will be huge fans of Incineroar, because you clearly are. Is he going to be your main? I'm going to try to. We'll see how it is. Right now, I really like uh, Charizard, but since he's now going to be like having to be like tied to uh, the rest of the other Pokemon like in Brawl with the red, uh, I may want to switch off of that. Makes sense. Well, I hope Incineroar works out for you, and he's he's your new main. Same. But you brought up Red, and we've been teasing this dis- this discussion all episode. But we got to talk about Red. He's the final Pokemon related fighter in Smash. He brings alongside of him the the OG starters: Charizard, Bulbasaur, and Squirtle, or I guess Charizard, Venusaur, and Blastoise, the the evolved forms of them. And the question that Red brings up here, of course, is the ethics and the idea of captivity and battling because that's all that motherfucker lives for. <laughs> so what, what's your, what's your question here? I think, I think my question here is like, is that okay? Is the idea of Pokemon training okay? Cause we've talked about sort of this um, mutually beneficial ecosystem where humans and Pokemon exist in this world and they benefit off each other and they support each other and one cannot live without the other. Where in that ecosystem does, capturing and battling fall into place so i mean later on in the series of anime it kind of shows more of how that relationship is because you know before the invention of pokeballs which is actually a very recent invention in the pokemon world there was more of just like this understanding between humans and pokemon and there were some that had this very great like you know life bond 
uh, with one another where they could be able to understand each other and they, you know, and, and there were many times where you've seen in the anime where Pokemon have just wanted to be captured. Um, Pokeballs do kind of throw a really big wrench into this because there <laughs> is a form of mind control. Like let's, let's not, let's not beat around the bush that like some Pokemon did not want to be captured and then were, and then are okay with that. Yeah. That's, that's also something that I've always wondered is how does a Pokeball change their mind? Like are Pokemon like, no, 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 don't you dare capture me. Oh, you got me. Okay, cool. Fine. I'll do this thing for you. <laughs> you know, like, is there something more nefarious going on there? Okay, you're going to get a headcanon that I have developed. Oh, shit. Okay, okay. Here we go. The, the Bruce Walton Pokemon canon. <laughs> so the science of, and it's a very anime kind of science of capsule, like, things being encapsulated in tiny, tiny packages. Yeah, like um, Capsule Core from Dragon Ball Z. Right. So... I mean, with this, it's a lot more scientific and what it shows inside the Pokeballs, like a bunch of mirrors and modules, and it turns a Pokemon into pure light and then puts it inside of it. So what I see is that like a Pokemon is hit by this Pokeball, the Pokeball opens up, somehow there is like a connection of turning the Pokemon into pure light and it having to bounce around all those different mirrors in this sort of endless cycle and in that cycle, it has something inside the Pokeball that is able to kind of remake its genetic like sequence to make it more like domesticated and, you know, uh, able to take commands more and be more docile. Yo, Bruce, you just ruined Pokemon. Let's go for me. I've been playing the <laughs> fuck out of that game. <laughs> That that's like it's not canon, but like that's what it all looks like to me. I hate this theory. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! And again, for for some of them, you know, some of them are like just naturally docile and like they're fine with being captured. But definitely for those that yeah, the don't. I, the idea of like machops and machokes at gyms and working out alongside their trainers who are also working out like there's definitely a bond there exactly that that seems like a bond that seems like both the the trainer and the pokemon have sort of come to come to this understanding and no one had to bounce someone around a fucking light prism beam thing and change their genetics you know like it <laughs> it, it, se it seems like it's set apart from the idea of capturing in battle and it's interesting that the technology of pokeballs and potentially the concept of Capturing them and battling seems relatively new to the world. But when you think about it in at least the human world, no matter how much we want to maybe say that humanity has always had the best interest for everything else, you know, any domesticated animal on planet Earth right now was through years of breeding out that wild, independent uh, portion of their, you know, genetic data. No, you're absolutely right. That's a great perspective. Poke Pokeballs are essentially the fast forward version of that. <laughs> it's a metaphor for domestication. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I guess humanity has truly been doing it for, uh, you know, years and years and generations and generations. And you're absolutely right. A lot of the dog breeds, you know, that we have today exactly. were originally wild animals that have been domesticated over many generations. Uh, and, you know, something similar may be at play when it comes to capturing Pokemon. Well, that about wraps it up. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, maybe take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That really helps us grow the show. And be sure to connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time.